Well, praise the Lord. I've got something uh, on my heart tonight that I want to share with you. Um, is everybody doing okay? Praise the Lord. I want to start off uh, in Ecclesiastes. Not a real common book to, uh, to teach out of, to preach out of. But I've uh, got a point going somewhere with this. So I'm going to go to Ecclesiastes chapter 2, and I want to start in verse 4. I'm just going to list some things here that uh, we think Solomon wrote this, and there's a pretty high chance that he did. But it seems like whoever wrote the, this book um, is a pretty successful man. So anyway, in chapter 2, verse 4, it starts out, I made my works great. I built myself houses planted myself vineyards. I made myself gardens and orchards. I planted all kinds of fruit trees in them. I made myself water pools from which to water the growing trees of the grove. Now, so far, pretty good, right? He's planting trees and watering them. He's building houses, vineyards, planting vineyards, Okay, then verse 7, I acquired male and female servants and had servants born in my house. Yes, I had greater possessions of herds and flocks than all who were in Jerusalem before me. I also gathered for myself silver and gold and the special treasures of kings and of provinces. I acquired male and female singers. Oh, look at that. He bought singers and delights of the sons of men and musical instruments of all kinds. He had all kinds of musical instruments. And then verse 9, So I became great and excelled more than all who were before me in Jerusalem. Also, my wisdom remained with me. Whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I did not withhold my heart from any pleasure for my heart rejoiced in all my labor, and this was my reward from all my labor, that I looked on all the works my, that my hands had done, and on the labor for which I had toiled, and indeed all was vanity and grasping for the wind. There was no profit under the sun. Wow. Well, that's kind of hard to get excited about. <laughs> So all of this, all of this planning and building and all of the things that he had done, and he'd obviously been very successful in whatever he endeavored to do. But in the end, he said, all was vanity and grasping for the wind. I like that old song, Dust in the Wind. And then in verse, uh, I'm going to go to verse 18. We'll skip over there. This kind of summarizes what he's saying in this chapter, I think. Then I hated all my labor in which I had toiled under the sun because I must leave it to the man who will come after me. And who knows whether he will be wise or fool, yet he will rule over all my labor in which I toiled in, in which I've shown myself wise under the sun. This also is vanity. Now, one of the keys to understanding this, I think, is to understand 
the context in which he's writing here is under the sun. And he keeps saying that over and over and over. So if you don't get that message, everything he's saying is under the sun, and that's S-U-N. That's the sun. So he's talking about earthly gains. He's talking about earthly uh, provision. He's talking about earthly investments. He's talking about earthly increases. And he's saying at the end of, the, end of his life, that it's all vanity. So it's a very frustrating, kind of depressing kind of subject. Uh, but it, it's in the Bible for a reason. I think it's in the Bible for us so that we can read it and say, ask ourselves the question, do I really want to live this way? Do I want my life to follow this kind of pattern? Or is there more? You know, Lord, there just has to be more than this. You know, and... So, uh, I'd like to go to Ephesians 2.10. And it says in Ephesians 2.10, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Let me read that again. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So if you ask yourself a question, who should walk in them? Well, we should walk in them. In other words, you have been created in Christ Jesus for good works, and God prepared those good works beforehand, and you're the one that is responsible to walk out those things. All right? So, is it possible then that God has plans that are different from man's plans and that if man follows his plans, he winds up under the sun and looking back over his life saying, you know, this is just kind of a vanity and uh, grasping for the wind or dust in the wind, or, you know, just kind of not, not everything good that he ever did was not all that important, really, because of the temporal nature of this life. But there are things God has planned for us to do. And those things are eternal, and those things have eternal value. And those things are the things we need to focus on. Those are those Ephesians 2.10 kind of things. And the Ephesians 2.10 covers everybody. Ephesians 2.10 is for every individual, even those outside of the faith, even those that have not believed yet in the Lord Jesus Christ. God has prepared something for them, uh, but they must come into Christ Jesus before that kicks in. And then we must be ready to um, look for those things and understand what those things are, and then we have to walk them out. Praise the Lord. But say to say we have to walk them out, well, it's not hard. It's not hard because it's my dream, right? It's something for me. It's something God made me for, so it's going to fit. So uh, let me go a little bit deeper in this subject here. It says in Psalm 37, 2, 
It says, delight yourself also in the Lord, and he shall give you the desires of your heart. Well, uh, where do you think those desires came from? If God put the desires in your heart, then when you delight yourself in the Lord, it's revealed to you what those desires are, and you begin to walk them out. And he gives them to you. Praise the Lord. Now, Proverbs 13, 12, uh, most of us have heard this one. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. But when the desire comes, it is a tree of life. Oh, when the desire comes, it is a tree of life. Delight yourself also in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Praise the Lord. So the desires of our heart can bring us out of that place of sickness. Looking back over our life and thinking, well, I had a dream at one point, but I never did see it come into fruition. I never did see it manifest. And so it got deferred, and the hope got deferred, and somewhere along the way, I just kind of left the dream behind. So what I really want to talk to you about is dreams. And everybody has a dream. And you can't talk about dreams without talking about a certain young man in the Bible named Joseph. <laughs> well, let's talk about priorities, first of all. If you're going to dream a dream, and when I say dream, I'm talking about your heavenly assignment. I'm talking about your Ephesians 2.10 plans that God has for you. If you're going to dream a dream, or you're going to see a vision, or you're going to hear the Lord, an angel's going to appear and talk to you, or you're going to have an inward witness of the Holy Spirit, possibly a still small voice. Sometimes it's when you're very young. Sometimes it's when you're old. It, the age doesn't have anything to do with it. When God gives you a dream, when you see something, you see yourself out in the kingdom of God doing something, hold on to that. Because that just might be your dream. That might be your Ephesians 2.10 plan that God has for you. In other words, your heavenly assignment. So that your life is not just Ecclesiastes chapter 2, where you plant lots of things and build lots of things and buy lots of things and sell lots of things in this earth, in this life. But you, you do things that God chose for you to do. Now, uh, let's talk, I said we'd talk about priorities. Let's talk about priorities a little bit. So I set up three priorities. Now, this is just my own thinking. You can set your own. But in deciding what your, what your dream is going to be and what you're going to pursue in life, you need priorities, right? Some things have to be first, and some things have to fall later. So obviously, what's the first priority? Well, it's to put God first. Matthew 6.33 says, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these other things will be added to you. So God will add things to you to help you along the way so that you can keep him first. In other words, you put him first, and he helps you to keep him first so that another priority doesn't come in and steal that position away from you. 
But you know there's a lot of responsibilities and a lot of things that we have to do in life. And there's other people in our life, and we have to think about them, right? So there's got to be like a number two and number three priority. I mean, there has to be something else. So these are kind of the add-on priorities that God will add to you, but we have to we have to take them in consideration. So number two, here's what I put as number two. I put family. Family is number two. Now, included in family, I include members of the body of Christ, along with my, you know, my immediate family or my, um, you might say, um, blood family, you know, like sons and daughters and, and aunts and uncles and mothers and fathers and grandpas and grandmas. And all of those are important. Because, I mean, stop and think about it. You weren't just accidentally born in a family. God put you in a family on purpose. And whether you like that family or not, or whether you're happy about that or not, that's your family. And you have a responsibility there. And so I put that as number two. Because if you're going to pursue your dream, you can't just walk off and leave your family. You know? Okay, so now number three, and this is just my list, okay? So I've got God first, family second, and guess what's number three? I put my career third. Now I put my my planting of trees, my building, um, all the things that you do in this temporal life that are necessary, even things we have to do. You know, you work for a living, you have a job, you have a trade or business, and those things are important. But you kind of have to decide, is that going to be number one, number two, or number three? And I think, uh, you know, although priorities are tricky because there are times when you really have to put everything on hold and put your job first because you're, you know, you're under authority to, uh, to work in a place that is uh, where you're doing work as unto the Lord. And you're being honorable in what you do, and you're working hard and giving them your best, and uh, that's very important. As a matter of fact, that part is part of supporting your family. So, in some ways, your work and your career is kind of like part of it's in number two position because you're supporting your family with that. So you can see it's a little tricky, but we've got to keep God first. We can all agree on that, right? We've got to keep God first. Because if we don't put God first, the world the world, and the tug of the world and the, uh, the crowded things of the world comes in and crowds God out, and then we wind up back in Ecclesiastes chapter 2, don't we? Because, you know, if you ask somebody, for example, uh, I remember a specific man that... Uh, that I used to work around, and and he was a pretty successful man, and uh, and uh, he was telling about what he's getting ready to do on the weekend, and he was going to drive to this city, and then he's going to drive to this city, and he's going to play around to golf, and then he's going to eat out, and then he's going to come uh, back to Houston, and you know, it just uh, I, I don't know, it's it's busyness. And to some extent, 
a lot of people say, well, that's a wonderful life because you got a full, complete life and you're out there doing things and enjoying life. And some of that seems very good. But then some of it seems like the hurried life. It just seems like we hurry, 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 and we run, 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 run. And we sure don't want to go completely through life and then wind up in Ecclesiastes 2 saying, well, I did all this stuff, but it's like grasping in the wind. No, we don't want to be there. So we've got to make some priorities for our heavenly assignment, right? If you if you have a, a natural gift inside of you, God wants to use it. If God has given you spiritual gifts inside uh, for you, inside of you, uh, gifts of the Holy Ghost, et cetera, et cetera, then God wants you to use it. God's given you strength. He's given you physical health. He wants you to use it. Giving you a good mind, a good sound mind, he wants you to use it. So your gifts are to be used and used in the process of walking out the plans that he has for you and one day seeing your dream. One day seeing your dream manifest. So, anyway, what about Joseph? Well, I'm not going to tell the whole story of Joseph, but I want to tell a couple of excerpts from his life. You know that he had a he had a dream, of course, and he had a dream that his own family would bow down to him. And then the second dream he had, he even had the moon and the stars and the sky. They were all bound down to him. I'm not exactly what that looks like, but you see that that part of the dream is beyond the family there, you know. So now we're talking about his, his dream encompassed nations coming to him and bowing down in front of him. Nations. Okay, so his dream was big. And, and one way to tell whether a dream is from God or not is it's big. I mean, this is not like finding a good parking place at Walmart. No, the dream is something really big, okay? And so... Uh, you see yourself out there. You just maybe you get just a visual picture or something of it at, at a point in time, and you see yourself out in the kingdom of God doing something, and it's so big that you can't already even uh, contemplate yourself doing it. And you'll say, "Well, uh, uh, yeah, I see. I see what I saw, but I don't believe it." <laughs> so in your heart, you might say, "I don't believe it. I don't think I can do that." Uh, you know. So it, dreams are big. And they can make you kind of back off, you know. But Joseph did not back off from his dreams. As a matter of fact, he told his, his brothers about it. And it says in Genesis 37, 5, and Joseph dreamed a dream and he told his brethren and they hated him yet the more. And, you know, sometimes your family will not support you in the things God has called you to do. Sometimes they won't understand. As a matter of fact, it's probably pretty common that families just don't quite understand. They don't quite get it. And, uh, you know, the reason for that is it's your dream, not theirs. And so your dream, you're, you're responsible for your dream. 
and each one is responsible for their own. So uh, someone else may have something different that God's given them. But that doesn't make theirs of a little importance and make you of great importance. It's just that we all have our own dream. But what you've got to do, and you've got to admit this, Joseph, Joseph kept his dream in front of him. He wanted to talk about it. He was 17 years old, 17 years old when God gave him this dream. And then uh, most of you know the story, but here's what happened. The brothers decided they had to get rid of it because they hated it. Um, he was the youngest brother at that time because the next son, his name was Benjamin. He had not come along yet. So he was the, quote, youngest brother at that time. And they dug a pit and put him in it. Thank God they didn't kill him, you know. So they sold him off and he was sold into slavery and he went to be a servant in this man's name, uh, in a man in Egypt, far, far away from home. Uh, the brothers thought, oh, we'll never see him again. He's far, far away from home. We will never see him again. And here he is, a slave or a servant in Potiphar's house. So this man named Potiphar, uh, he was there for, uh, you know, served in his house for about 11 years. And he did everything very well. And Potiphar basically gave him charge of everything, gave him authority over everything. Uh, so I think you could say that, you know, Joseph was one of those who had an excellent spirit. No, no matter what his situation was, <clears throat> he kept the dream in front of him. No matter what his situation was, he still remembered the dream. And he still believed that one day things would change and that he would actually see that dream manifest. Well, Potiphar's wife, you know, tried to get uh, Joseph to do something immoral. And Joseph uh, ripped away from her one day and she held onto his robe and he winds up being a naked man and running through the streets and when you see something like that, they look pretty guilty, so they put him in prison. And they put him in prison and unjustly because he had not really done anything. But Joseph showed an extremely uh, excellent example of resisting temptation, resisting the enemy. Basically, he's saying, how can I sin against my God? And uh, so he did the right thing. And he got put in prison for it, you might say. Um, so he's in prison. And I just want to go through a, one example of something that happened while he was in the prison. There were two men that uh, were put in the prison. There was a butler and then there was a baker. And Joseph had some authority over them in the prison. So Joseph actually did pretty well even in the prison. He had some responsibility and some authority there and, and uh, one day the butler came in he looked pretty sad and Joseph said well hey what's going on with you how you why are you sad and, and the butler said well I had a dream and uh, when he said dream you know something probably kind of fired off in Joseph's heart because <laughs> Joseph knows about dreams so he said you know God you know God uses me 
you know, interpreting dreams. And would you like me to, you know, tell you what that dream means? Because the, the butler was very troubled about it because he didn't know what it meant. So Joseph gave him the interpretation. And basically, the interpretation to the dream was in three days that the Pharaoh was going to bring him out of prison. And the way he put it was he's going to lift up his head and he's basically going to put the, the, the butler back in his old position as cupbearer for the Pharaoh and he would be totally a free man back in his old position and, and uh, free again. So that was a good that was a good thing. The butler was pretty happy about that. Praise the Lord. And then there was a there was a baker, and he also had a dream, and he was kind of listening in to, to what Joseph was saying to the butler. And he said, you know, I, I had a dream. And, and Joseph said, well, yeah, well, uh, I can give you the interpretation of that. And so, yeah, the baker wanted to hear that. So he said, well, in, in three days, here's what the dream means. In three days, the Pharaoh will lift off your head he will hang you on a pole and the birds of the air will eat the flesh from your bones. <laughs> oh, not, not, not the best thing. And I, I, I saw this example of these two dreams and the two interpretations and I thought, why did God put Joseph in this situation? But do you see that Joseph didn't change the interpretation to benefit the itching ears of the hearer. He didn't just tell people what they wanted to hear. He told them what God was telling him. Whether it was good or bad, he was given the correct interpretation of the dream. So one of the other things that uh, Joseph did is before the butler left, he said, now, when you come out and you stand before the Pharaoh, please, please tell him that I did not commit the wrongs that they accused me of. And I'm here in this dungeon, and I shouldn't be here. And uh, remember me. In other words, he asked the butler to remember him. And then it says, uh, you know, a few verses later, <clears throat> you know, the butler's before the king, and he's back in his old position again. And says, oh, he didn't remember Joseph. He forgot about him. But you see, uh, a lot of people will forget about your dream. It's just something about your dream that it means a lot to you, but it just may not mean something to everybody. So uh, you just have to realize that you're going to have to keep the dream alive and you're going to have to keep the dream in front of you. And you're going to have to do some things. You're going to have to do some things right. Now, Joseph did that. He lived right. He lived clean. And he lived according to the kingdom of God, lived obedient. And uh, I wanted to read this verse to you. This tells me, this is a very insightful verse. Romans 14, 17. And it says, for the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit or Holy Ghost. It's not eating and drinking. In other words, it's not in Ecclesiastes chapter 2. See, it's not just doing temporal things on the earth. But it is 
righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. And when I was reading Ecclesiastes chapter 2, I didn't read anything in there about righteousness, peace, or joy in the Holy Ghost. Did you see anything about any of those things? Well, that's what the kingdom of God is all about. It's about righteousness, living right, living clean, and thank God Jesus made us righteous. But we still have a responsibility to live right. It's about walking in peace. And so when you're pursuing your dream and when you're heading down the road and setting your priorities and deciding what you're going to do, what you're not going to do, you know, you've got to make decisions that are centered around peace. You've got to have peace about things because that's the way the kingdom of God works. It's peace. And then thirdly, joy in the Holy Ghost. So along the road, along the way, or as Ephesians 2.10 would say, that you may walk in them. So while you're walking in these plans, and you're carrying out one step at a time the path, you might say, to the heavenly assignment that God's given you. You're causing the dream to start to take shape and start to manifest. And sometimes those steps along the way are little baby steps. And they probably should be baby steps. Because remember, uh, it can take a while for a dream to manifest. So just going back briefly to the story of Joseph. Joseph did get out of prison, didn't he? Oh, yeah. Because after the butler and the baker got out, two years later, guess who had a dream and needed an interpretation? The Pharaoh himself had a dream. And he was a wise man. And he said, he put it like this. Okay, I need this dream interpreted because it troubles me and I don't know what it means. And so here's the way he put it to his servants and those around him, the wisest, obviously the wisest people he had. Um, he said, I want someone to interpret my dream, but first you have to tell me what the dream was that I dreamed. Then you interpret it. So the Pharaoh was a fairly wise man, wasn't he? Because if all he said was interpret the dream, I'm sure he could have gotten a few interpretations. But one caveat here, they're going to have to tell him what his dream was first. And you can imagine what would happen to them if they tried to tell him what his dream was, and that wasn't what his dream was. Wouldn't be good. So can you imagine everybody's in disarray and they're all running around and saying, we got to have an interpretation for this dream, but we don't even know what the dream is. And there's no wisdom. There's no, you know, there's, there's no one has the interpretation. Oh, but guess what? The butler. The butler got, he started thinking way back in time. Remember two years ago, there was a man named Joseph in prison, in the dungeon. And he could accurately interpret a dream, whether it's good or bad. And so he goes to the Pharaoh and he says, I know a man who interpreted my dream and it was exactly right. And so Pharaoh asked for Joseph and Joseph came out of prison and interpreted the dream. And boy, did he get a promotion. 
When he came out of prison, he was 30 years old. So you can do the math. He was 17. When he came out, he was 30. So how about 13 years? And the dream starts to take shape now. So here's the thing. They're going to have seven good years, and they're going to have seven bad years, right? So when does a dream really take shape and really come to pass? It's during the seven bad years. So you got 13 years sold into slavery, two years in prison, seven more years, good fat years, but, oh, he's working on the dream. Yeah, during those seven good years, he's working on the dream. So he's having them put up 20% of their grain in silos and storage facilities and just storing up grain. And they, they, oh, they got so much grain and so much uh, abundance. It's just, they lost count of it. But then when the seven years of drought started, now the dream is really going to come in fruition because that's when the nations of the world will come to him. And he's second in command under the Pharaoh. Praise the Lord. You know, you know, you see, the dream takes a while. It can take time. And so all that time, while the dream is, it seems like it's dead. It seems like the dream has died multiple times. And yet, in a day, God can raise it up. I mean, this, this is the way God is. Now, Something about dreams. Pursuing your dream is a pathway of joy. Dreams make your soul sing and have laughter because of what the Lord has done. Praise the Lord. Look at Psalms 126. Psalm 126 verse 1 says, when the Lord turned again the captivity of Zion, we were like them that dream. In other words, we can hardly believe it. Verse 2 says, Then was our mouth filled with laughter, and our tongue was singing. Then said they among the heathen, The Lord has done great things for them. Even the heathen was looking at them and saying, Boy, God's blessing them. The Lord has done great things for us, whereof we are glad. Turn again our captivity, O Lord, as the streams in the south. They that sow in tears shall reap in joy. He that goeth forth and weepeth, bearing precious seed, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. Praise the Lord. You know, this, this has something to do with soul winning, I think, you know? Planting seeds, planting the word, being that man or woman of God that God has called you to be. Not living for just eating and drinking, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. Walking out the things that God has planned for you to do. Kingdom kind of things. Praise the Lord. And along the way, although it may take years and years and years, along the way, 
Let your mouth be filled with laughter and your tongue with singing. Just say, you know, we are like them that dream. We are the dreamers on the earth. But our dreams are not just earthly dreams. They're dreams that God gives us. Praise the Lord. Jude 1.20 says, But you, beloved, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. Oh, pray. Pray in the Spirit. Pray in the Holy Spirit, it says. And keep yourself built up. And then it says, keep yourselves in the love of God. You know, if if you're going to pursue a heavenly assignment, you have to stay in the love walk. You can't be offended every time somebody does something to you. You've got to be able to forgive. If you're offended along the way, you could wind up losing your dream over that offense. Do you know that um, you can go way back in the Bible in Genesis and you can read about Cain and Abel and you can read about how Cain was offended and he decided that the way to solve his problem of his brother Abel having favor and he didn't have favor was to kill him, to take his life. And so he committed, looks like, the first recorded murder. He committed a murder. He killed his own brother. And, uh, you know, God called out to him, made him be accountable for it. And that's when Cain said these very, very popular, well-known words. Am I my brother's keeper? I remember a story in the Bible called the story of the Good Samaritan. And here you had a priest walk by him on the other side of the road. And the Levite looked at him and crossed the road to get away and go on down the road. You know, because they're busy men. They got schedules to keep. They're, they're living the hurried life, you know. And I'm sure when they got where they were going and got there on time that they were greeted and, and people gathered around, oh, I'm glad you got here. I'm glad you got here on time. How was your trip? And they probably said, just fine. Probably didn't say one word about this man they saw beaten at the side of the road. But this Samaritan came along and he took the time to get off of his animal and stop and go help this man who was beaten at the side of the road, who very possibly would have died had not he stopped. And he took him in and took care of him. Well, Jesus said, uh, he told this whole story to answer the question, who is my neighbor? And you know, Cain said, uh, am I my brother's keeper? The answer to that is, Yes. <laughs> the answer to that is, if God gives you an assignment, along the way, there are going to be some people less fortunate than you are. And you're going to be the one to kind of slow down a little bit. You might be on your hot path to your dream, 
but you're going to have to slow down and do the love walk. And that's what it says in Jude. It says, it says, build yourself up in the Holy Ghost. Keep yourselves in the love of God. Praise the Lord. So God gives us mercy and then we pass it on to other people. This is not going to slow you down on your path to your dream. This is part of the fulfillment of your dream. These are the things that the kingdom of God is all about. It's about caring for the hurt, caring for the broken. It's not like the butler, you know, oh, he forgot all about Joseph. No, we remember people. We don't forget them. See? Praise the Lord. All right, so be careful of being caught in the hurried life so that you don't even have time to hear from God. You don't have time to help somebody. You don't have time to slow down enough to save somebody's life who's perishing, you know. Uh, I have to certainly think about that myself. Okay, so what is... What are some of the criteria for the dream? So that we we know, I mean, you might you might ask the question, well, you know, I've really never had a dream. I don't know exactly what you're talking about. Um, I've never seen a vision that I know of. I've never had an angel park next to me and look over and talk to me. I've never... Uh, seen a, a, a supernatural sign, you know, uh, how do I know what the dream looks like? You know, as you as you spend time in prayer, walk along with the Lord, there are, there's an inner witness of the Holy Ghost inside of you. And most of us, I think, the dream is revealed as we go along. So you just look for the thing that God has put in your path and think about what you think God made you for. It might be something that your natural gifts and talents fit with really well. Or to a degree, it is what is needed. In other words, what was needed, the Good Samaritan saw what was needed and just did it. He may not have been the best doctor or you know, person to do that. But he saw the need and he tried to do what was needed. Praise the Lord. So, I know in my own life, I did some few years of children's ministry. Actually, if I go way back, I did an awful lot of children's ministry in different settings. It seems like every church and every place I'd ever been, there was always a need for children someone to help with the children. And, uh, you know, for a number of years there, I had my own children. So that was, you know, that was uh, kind of vested interest in that. But even after my children grew up, the draw from God didn't leave me. It was still there. And so I did that for quite a number of years. I, I know that the ability to stand and speak before people and things like that had something to do with uh, working with children 
uh, right here in G, G Church. Um, and uh, you might say that I signed up to help kids and the kids helped me. And so you might find that's true in your life too. You might find that you kind of step out and do some things sometimes. It's not the most popular thing to do or the most exciting thing to do. Or maybe it's just kind of routine. Well, I'm just helping somebody. I'm just helping them a little bit. You know, one week, you know, one Sunday a week or something like that. And you find out later that it was helping you also. And it was part of the path and part of the plan for your dream coming into uh, reality. I want to talk to you a little bit about a couple of examples. Uh, you know, first of all, Abraham, I can't go too far without talking about him. Uh, in Genesis chapter 15, verse 1, it says, after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, saying, Fear not, Abram, I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. And Abram said, Lord God, what wilt thou give me, seeing I go childless? And he brought him forth abroad and said, Look now toward heaven and tell the stars, if thou be able to number them. And he said unto them, so shall thy seed be. And so he asked Abraham, Abram was his name at that time. He asked him to look up into the sky and kind of do a little panoramic, kind of go in a circle and look at all the stars he could see on a clear night and see if he could count them. And so I'm picturing Abram saying, okay, one, two, three, no, kind of, trying to count the stars. And he'd have to count a little bit, and then he kind of had to move that block over and then count some more. And after he got a ways across the sky, he would suddenly see more stars where he previously had looked, and he sees new stars, and now he's starting to lose count because there are so many. Little did he know that, you know, by Galatians 3.13, the whole Gentile world was coming into this picture. That's why there were so many. <laughs> but uh, you see, the dream that, that God gave Abram was really a big one. It was a big one. And here he was. He was 75 years old. He went into the promised land. He had no children, no sons of his own. But when he was 100 years old, after 25 years, He's holding his newborn son in his arms, his son Isaac, 25 years. You know, sometimes it takes a while for that dream to manifest. But when it comes, it takes miracles sometimes to just make it happen. It seems like the dream is absolutely dead, but here God raises it up. Praise the Lord. You know, along the way, when you're looking for your dream and talking about it, thinking about it, you have to realize that you have a responsibility and you have to do what you can do to cause the dream to come to pass. You have to keep the dream before you. 
and you have to do your part. When you do what you can do, then God does what you cannot do. God does the impossible. Praise the Lord. Habakkuk 2, verse 2, it says, And the Lord answered me and said, Write the vision and make it plain on tables that he may run that readeth it. For the vision is yet for an appointed time, but at the end it shall speak and not lie. Though it tarry, wait for it, because it will surely come. It will not tarry. Behold, his soul which is lifted up is not right in him, but the just shall live by his faith. You know, you're going to have to walk this out by faith. So you're going to have to stay in the love walk. You're going to have to keep yourself built up in the Holy Ghost. And you're going to have to walk this thing out by faith. Because your faith is going to be tried and tested. It's going to seem like the dream is just not going to happen. It's just not going to come alive. And you're going to have to hold out in faith for it. Again, do what you can do. And then God does what you cannot do. I was looking at this story of part of the story of, of Moses in Exodus 4 uh, verse 1 then Moses answered and said but suppose they will not believe me or listen to my voice suppose they say the Lord has not appeared to you so what is he asking here in that passage see Moses was destined from the time he was a newborn baby floating in the river in a basket, he was destined to be trained and to be to go out and to lead his people out of this place called Egypt and to uh, to lead them to the promised land. And he knew that in his heart. But he, he made a mistake. He, he uh, When he's about 40, I guess, he uh, went into the area where his people were and there was uh, one, of, one man was beating on one of the Hebrew people, one of his own people. And so he took the man's life. The life of, a, of an Egyptian guard. And then he buried the man. And he probably thought that his people would be really impressed that he took their side in the matter, but they acted just the opposite. They didn't trust him, and they thought he was just there to be a trouble for them, and he couldn't be he couldn't be trusted. And so he had to flee for his life because the Pharaoh was going to kill him. And so he goes into the Midian desert, and he takes on you know has a family out there. And comes a, you know, he's a sheep herder, or, you know, moving about in the desert. And uh, did that for like 40 years. And one day there's a burning bush and God speaks to him. And so God calls him to go to the Pharaoh and tell Pharaoh to let the people go. And what I just read you was Moses' response. He said, but suppose they will not believe me. And so this is what God said to him. 
This is in verse 2, uh, Exodus 4, 2. So the Lord said to him, what is in your hand? And he said, a rod. And he said, cast it to the ground. So he cast it to the ground, and it became a serpent. And Moses fled from it. Then the Lord said to Moses, reach out your hand and take it by the tail. And he reached out his hand and caught it and became a rod in his hand. You see, what God was doing was what Moses could not do. What Moses could do was identify that he had a rod in his hand. What Moses could do is cast it to the ground. But it's going to be up to God to make that thing turn into a serpent. And when it turned into a serpent, Moses fled. He ran away because he wasn't expecting that. That was a full-blown snake now. That wasn't just a, you know, some kind of magic trick. So what he was going to do is he was going before the Pharaoh. And he was going to, not that God does magic tricks or anything like that, but he was going to deal with Pharaoh in an area, in a realm that the Pharaoh understood. And that was the area of sorcery and magic tricks and things like that. And so he threw the rod down and, and, you know, of course the Pharaoh saw what happened and and tried to emulate it. But, you know, Moses' snake or serpent swallowed up all the other snakes. So, The point was that the Pharaoh really should have believed him. After seeing those kind of signs, he should have. But he didn't, you know, and it took a lot of plagues later, and pretty soon, you know, and with the death angel passing over, the Pharaoh said, okay, get out of here. And the Pharaoh let the people go. You know the story. Moses let him out. But it took a lot of years for that dream to come to pass. But finally, he is walking out exactly what God wanted him to do all that time. Praise the Lord. But you see how God has to do some supernatural things in order to make these dreams come true. And he'll do his part. But we have to do our part. Praise the Lord. Well, how do we stay on track? Well, I like James 3.17. You've got to keep your dreams within this realm, okay? Here is the wisdom that comes uh, from above. But the wisdom that comes from above is first, here's the criteria for it, first pure, then peaceable, gentle, easy to be entreated, full of mercy, good fruits, without partiality, and without hypocrisy. If you're going to follow after something you think God wants you to do, you have to do it in such a way that you don't break and hurt people around you. See, you got to do it with mercy. you got to do it with purity. you got to do it in a peaceable fashion, in a gentle fashion. It's got to be easy to be entreated full of good fruits, without partiality. You've got to think of other people around you and how you can do these things and, uh, and, and do them in a godly fashion. So this is not a lesson on, oh, how to just take off and leave your family and go out chasing after something and trying to capture it. Uh, but, but it's more like trying to, trying to read what God is telling you 
from the inside and walking out in those little baby steps usually, one step at a time, what God's plan is, and all along the way, what you're walking out is done in wisdom. And it's done according to James 3.17 in wisdom that is from above. Praise the Lord. Another thing you can think about here is you need to stay on track when you're pursuing your dream. Now, how do you stay on track? Well, let's look at some of the things Jesus said that he asked his servants to do or his disciples to do. In Matthew 10, 5, he called, he called the 12 together, the, the disciples. And he said, and I'm going to read from verse 7. Uh, Matthew 10, 7. As you go, and as you go, preach, saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out demons. Freely you receive, freely give. Praise the Lord. <laughs> so what he asked them to do was, uh, was the th same things that he had been doing. In other words, helping broken people get their lives straightened back out. And that's basically what we're called to do, is to help other people. And so if God gives you a dream, you can expect it to be pure. You can expect it to be a good one. And you can expect it not to be in line necessarily with Ecclesiastes chapter 2, where you're just accumulating wealth and just, you know, not that wealth is bad, it's okay to have wealth, but you got to follow your dream. you got to follow what God has given you, your assignment, and see that come to pass. Amen. You know, when our dreams are the same dream that God has for us, then you can rest assured that it, it will happen. I want to give you a few steps um, to summarize this. So here's, here's kind of the summary of what I'm trying to present tonight. In Ephesians 2.10, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. The point is tonight, we're going to have to walk out some things that God planned for us. Okay. Remember, Joseph dreamed a dream and his brothers hated him even more. Remember, sometimes you won't get the support from all of your family members. That's very possible. Okay? Now, first of all, I'm going to start with number one. I've got ten steps here that I covered some of these tonight or most of them. You must make way for your heavenly assignment. You must do what you can do, and God does what you cannot do. And I was illustrating that by Moses in Exodus 4, verse 1 through 4. Number two, Set the proper priorities. Matthew 6.33, seek first the kingdom of God. So on your way to the dream, 
we can't go around God. You've got to put him first, okay? Number three, your family is very important. 1 Timothy 5.8 says, but if any provide not for his own, and especially for those of his own house, he hath denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. So, you know, you have to provide for your family. You have to set the proper priorities and make your family important in this process. Okay, number four, be faithful in a few things. Matthew 25, 21, uh, if you're faithful in a few things, he'll make you ruler over many things. Number five, you must keep your dream ever before you. Visualize it, write it, live it out by faith, or walk it out by faith. Habakkuk 2, 2 and 4. Write the vision and make it plain. Uh, number six. Uh, life, our life must be righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. Our life cannot be focused on just temporal things like eating and drinking. Remember Romans 14, 17. For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Number seven, stay in the love walk. Remember the good Samaritan. Luke 10.33 and Jude 1.20. Number eight, don't lose sight of what Jesus told us to do. Matthew 10, 7 through 13. We're to be people who uh, heal the sick and uh, cast out the demons. We're to be the people that declare the kingdom of God to the world and bring peace to the world. So let's stay focused on what Jesus called us to do. Okay, number nine. If you depart from your dream, turn around and go back to it or turn around and go back to the Lord. Remember, there was a rich young ruler and Jesus said to him, uh, this is in Mark 10, 21. And Jesus looking at him, loved him and said to him, one thing you lack, go your way, sell whatever you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come take up your cross and follow me. And you know the story. He walked away, the rich young ruler walked away sadly because he had great wealth. He let temporal wealth stop him from that heavenly assignment that Jesus was trying to give him. Uh, you can only hope that if, if we've made mistakes in the past and walked away from the Lord, that we'll go back to the Lord and he'll renew the dream in our heart. And number 10, this is the last one. Your gift will make room for you. Genesis 41, 38. Now, what did Pharaoh say uh, regarding Joseph? And Pharaoh said to his servants, can we find such a one as this, a man in whom is the spirit of God? In other words, to find a gifted man like Joseph was hard to do. And when he found him, he was very happy. And then Proverbs 18, 16. A man's gift makes room for him 
and brings him before great men. Remember that the gifts God has given you are going to rise up and bring you up to another level. But you can't make it happen on your own. You have to allow God to do it. Let the gifts do it. Okay? And I'm going to end with this. Psalm 126. One. When the Lord brought back the captivity of Zion, we were like those who dream. Then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with the singing. Then they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. So don't give up on your dream. Okay? Well, that's what I have to give you tonight. And, and I just uh, praise the Lord. Thank you for listening to me. Amen.